Hey everyone, welcome to episode 26 of the Brosane Detroit Pistons podcast. I'm Carl Rosane. And I'm Alex Rosane. And wow, here we are at the end of the season, and the Pistons, for the first time in how many seasons? Is it seven, eight? Yeah, I, I kind of feel like we should have looked that up before we <laughs> got on the podcast. Yeah, so you know, it's been a long time, let's put it that way. Uh, and we made the playoffs, and as the eve of the Eastern Conference uh, all, of, all the playoff series are starting the first round this weekend, and we're in the playoffs. So we are the eighth seed, and uh, we finished the season uh, six games better than we had predicted. In our first episode of the season, we had we had predicted about 38 wins, which, based on how crappy the East was last year, uh, we figured that would be good enough to sell Eek into the eighth spot. But it turns out we had to actually play a lot better, get 44 wins, and that was just enough to uh, beat off the Bulls to get the eighth spot. That's right, and to have to have it be actually better than the projection is just amazing. I mean, we're <laughs> things don't rarely live up to the hype, you know. And uh, as Pistons fans, we're used to being beaten down. I think this must be the fourth season in a row. I told people like, "Oh man, you know, it's time to get in on the ground floor. This is the year the Pistons are going to be okay again." And uh, you know, we always had some promising guys. We had Greg Monroe and you know, young Drummond and everything, and it just never came together. Um, yeah, I remember uh, two or three years ago at a Tigers opening day, being like, "No, KCP is is good. Just have some patience, you know." And uh, and so we've been rooting for them for a long time, and to see it come together. Uh, one th- one thing that was really cool to see is that since the All Star break, where we uh, added Tobias Harris, uh, our last episode, we, like we had seen like three games with him, and we were speculating, but we hadn't really uh, seen we, we hadn't really seen much, uh, and we've really been better with him. Uh, we, we've been 17 and 11 since we traded for him, and that was our best stretch of the season. And we really needed to do that. We really needed that. I remember feeling like um, this this game against the Bucks, where Drummond had this amazing like offensive rebound putback to win. That just seemed like a pivotal moment. It was about maybe 10 games ago, where like had we lost that, I kind of felt like we were going to fall further behind the Bulls, and we just weren't going to make the playoffs again. And that just seemed to be like. For my narrative, like a turning point, and we've just played pretty well, like winning more games than not, and like I said, making the playoffs. Yeah, it was really exciting to be to, to be in there in the mix. The whole middle of the pack in the Eastern Conference was all so close together. I mean, uh, a few weeks before the end of the season, it was conceivable that we could end up getting the the, the sixth seed or the fifth seed, just depending on how things broke and who got hot and who got cold. You know, as it happened, uh, you know, Miami and Charlotte really came on strong at the end and, and put some distance in between them and us. Um, and luckily for us, uh, Washington and the Bulls both severely crapped the bed and, uh, you know, we left them in the dust. And so it was just us and Indiana uh, fighting for that 7th, 8th spot. And, you know, we ended up, uh, it was within the last couple of games decided that, you um, Indiana got the seventh spot, and they were going to play Toronto in the, in the first round, and we were going to play Cleveland. And, um, you know, we had, we would have had a much better chance of, of stealing the series from Toronto, even though they're, you know, much better than we are on paper this year. But I was talking to someone today, a uh, colleague, Scott, who pointed out, you know, we're probably better off in the long run facing Cleveland because uh, we're going to get a lot more uh, national exposure playing LeBron than we were going to be playing Toronto, which kind of nobody cares about and nobody believes in, even though they're a really good team and Kyle Lowry is a really great player. You know, I, I don't know. Is it too far to say that we'll get like three or four times as much coverage 
in this first round series. So if we're going to probably lose the first round series anyway, we may as well, you know, have a, a few moments that break into national attention. Maybe some free agents like us a little better, but may, it'll just be a lot of fun is, is the main thing. I don't know. That's just happy talk, I guess, but that's the silver lining, I'd say, from getting the eighth seed instead of the seventh. Yeah, I don't think I would have been particularly confident, like realistically confident in beating either team. So if we're going to be swinging at the fences, right. uh, may as well swing at the at – because the, if, if we did beat the Cavs, or at least let's say we took them to seven games, that would be very notable. Uh, and if, if let's say we took um, Toronto to seven games and we still lost, people might hardly kind of – it would be passing memory, I think. Yeah, I think Toronto probably would have been like – the fourth or fifth seed in the West. Um, anyway, we're, here we are. We, we we made the playoffs. We we finished the season strong. Um, you know, we we finished the season with I think the thirteenth best offense and the twelfth best defense in the league. So that that's kind of mediocre. But I will note that we're we're above average in both categories, and that's the, you know with a young team that's only going to get better going forward. We don't have anybody who's aging out of their peak anytime soon. To, to start being above average at both, you know, uh, I'll take it, making the playoffs. Well, and you mentioned Toronto would, would be the fourth seed instead of the second or third or fourth. Well, we'd actually be the sixth seed in the in the West. Because right. the bottom of the West, like the, the, the middle class of the West isn't nearly as strong as the middle class of the East. Of course, they have the top four teams are great, especially the top two. Um, the top two are historically yeah. great. I mean, if it weren't for the Golden State Warriors, this Spurs team would have been the best team in the NBA since the peak Jordan Bulls. I mean, that, that's how good the Spurs were this year. They were, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I think they were first in defense this year, and I think they were like five points per 100 possessions better than the third-best team. Um, it was just, it just, They just left everybody in the dust uh, on, on defense. Kawhi Leonard is just an alien, and as a team, they're moving on a string. Tim Duncan is still playing amazing defense. So, yeah, two... Historically great teams in the West, and yeah, after that, Oklahoma City is amazing. They're they're really good. They would have been first in the East too. And uh, just to round out our uh, talk about how we did this season, so I was looking at you know we, we made this prediction to you know, we we're going to be about five hundred, a little below five hundred this year. Uh, who did better and who did worse than we expected? And um, I think Reddy Jackson ended up being a pleasant surprise. He ended up being a little better than we expected him to be this year. Um, I was a little skeptical of him uh, coming into the year. He had, you know, played well in limited minutes in Oklahoma City, but we never and and did all right when he came to the Pistons. But he really stepped up this year, and you know, he was actually just a, a really great offensive player for us this year. He was actually very similar to what Kyrie Irving did for Cleveland this year. In a in a little bit of a down year for him, he came on a little stronger at the end. Um, KCP, I think, was. Uh, considerably better than he was last year. Uh, he, you know, he not only was he really useful on defense and getting a lot of attention for doing a nice job there, but you know, he was he was solid on offense. Not not the problem, not the solution. Um, and uh, Marcus Morris and Aaron Baines were both just slightly better than we could have expected. And I didn't expect to get anything from Reggie Bullock or Stanley Johnson. And they both had their moments where you know they both play the same position, the backup small forward and. You know, they both were, were fine. Uh, Stanley a little better on defense and kind of running, uh, getting our fast break going than, more so than in the half court. Yeah, one thing I'll be looking out for, actually, would be to see whether Stanley can have kind of like a Tayshaun-esque coming out party in the playoffs like he did with his, his rookie season. Because Stanley Johnson's been inconsistent, but he also plays 
fearlessly. And he's, uh, you know, when he plays well, he, he can look like a, he belongs uh, on an all-star team. Like it's, it's, it's very small glimpses sometimes, but he, you know, I would be, I would not, I'm hopeful that he could really have an impact. Yeah. I'm thinking my uh, goals for him, this playoffs is, you know, at the age of 19, getting his first playoff experience, he, I just want him to have one or two moments uh, where he does something useful. Just, just a few plays or a few possessions in a row helping us spark a run. If he does that, uh, that that's great. He can build on that for next year. Yeah, unfortunately, in the most recent national game against the Heat, when we, were, when we, got, we really d- didn't do well, we lost by 10 or more on the road. Uh, I, the, 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 I think it was Kevin McHale was the kind of noting like, oh, Stanley Johnson, well, he's certainly not afraid to shoot. And like he, had, you know, he, he played terribly that night. He shot like two for 10 or something like that. So, um, and, and Justice Winslow has certainly been, everyone loves him. I, I think that, and, and, uh, both Bill Simmons and Zach Lowe's kind of, uh, all rookie, rookie of the year ballot. They, uh, Justice Winslow was on the radar, um, and at the very bottom of the radar, but still, uh, and and also on like the all rookie team, whereas Stanley Johnson just wasn't mentioned. Uh, no one was like bashing him, but I, I just, it feels like even though it seems to us like Stanley Johnson is a very similar player uh, and potentially has more upside in just being like a heavier, bigger, bulkier player, um, uh, you know, he hasn't really gotten the the national credit that us Pistons fans would like him to get. Yeah, I think I think it is a lot about him just being on a better team. And, um, but you know, you know, good for him that he's playing, playing good defense right out of the gate. That's rare for a rookie. Um, I look forward to this rivalry, uh, for, for long careers. They're both really young guys who are built similarly, play a similar position, both on, uh, Eastern conference teams that should be in the mix in the playoffs for several years more to come. So, uh, I think that should be fun. I think, uh, I think it'd be fun if, if Stanley earns the starting job next year. I think that's. I think that's on the table. It'd be, you know, Marcus Morris uh, would be great in a six-man role off the bench. You know, kind of long, a long, longer term for us. I mean, he, he often is the the starter who Stan Van Gundy will keep on the floor to to mix in with the bench anyway. It's true. So, yeah, that'd be that'd be that'd be really nice. Um, and then you know, I, I would say you know, compared to what we were projecting preseason, I as good a year as Drummond had, um, and. It, Especially how he came out of the gate, getting a you know twenty point twenty rebound games and really just beasting his way into an All Star game. He really he kind of flagged from the middle of the year on, and he he kind of got worse every every month the first four months before he came on again at the end. And you know the last five ten games didn't didn't play very well. I don't know if he hit the wall. He was playing fewer minutes. I don't know if teams figured him out or if teams started doing the hacka strategy and. Stan had to take him out and, and play Baines instead, but you know he did a little worse than I projected for him this year, even though he had a really good year. And as we were talking about, I think last time, you know, you, you crunched the numbers on uh, how much better would he be if he could make free throws at a even a bad, a normal bad <laughs> rate rather than a historically horrendous rate. Gosh, I, I feel like those free throws—they're just the difference between him being an All NBA guy on offense. Uh, or, or I'm sorry, if you take into account both ends of the floor with his defensive rebounding, versus him being a little bit of a disappointment and him being, you know, a potential guy or a borderline all star, because he was really, if you look at his offensive rating, he was, you know, a below average player. He was, um, 
even doing everything he does, shooting a high field goal percentage, getting on offensive rebounds, those free throws just kill us. And he really had to make up for it by being incredible on the defensive boards. And, you know, hopefully I, I want to hear more in the off season about what real coaches and scouts thought about his defense this year. Cause sometimes he looked awesome. And sometimes he looked like he was a, uh, a spectator with where he didn't know how to stop guys near the rim. You know, guards like Goran Dragic will take it right at him and score on him and, he looks helpless. He's still tw- he's 22 years old. He he could get better every year for five more years, and it wouldn't surprise me. So I'm not panicking by any means. But he, I, I kind of hoped he would do a little better this year, and not partly because of the free throws and partly because of the defense. Uh, and it'll be interesting to keep our eye on that. It, how wonderful would it be if he if he takes a step up at, during these playoffs and and uh, kind of puts together a string of really really the good version of his games. It really would be nice. I mean, he has, you know, started off the season kind of playing like we hoped he might, like averaging like 18 points and 15 rebounds and kind of ended up more like a 14-14 a and 14, or 15-15 and 15 kind of guy, which still is a step up from last year. He's progressing. Uh, and he's still one of the most promising young big men in the league, although at this point I think uh, we, we at, the, at the beginning of the year we were so enthusiastic. We're like, well, would you trade him for any big man? And I was like, yeah, I definitely traded for Carl Anthony Towns, even though oh, yeah. I, love, I love Drummond. Like, the, the free throws have taken the wind out of his sails a little bit. So, uh, but, you know, we, he didn't have to be the guy who took a huge leap to make us a way better team this year, which is nice. I mean, he, like, he made the all-star team. He was better. Uh, it, it, he just has to figure out the free throws. And, and I think he was literally the worst free throw shooting season in the history of the NBA this year. I mean, with one, it's one of those things where you have to take into account, you know, only people who shot a decent amount of attempts and everything. But depending on how you count it, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I mean, the, someone who shoots a lot of free throws and, I mean, getting under 40% is just is just horrendous. But, but let's, you know, again, we're measuring him compared to the potential we see for him or our, uh, the glimpses of, of kind of Hall of Fame level play. What we have at the moment is a guy who led the league in rebounding led the NBA in rebounding at age 22 and is still a major threat on offense in the, as a pick and roll um, as the pick and rolling to the whole guy um, to the point where, you know, it really opens up a lot for Reggie Jackson and, uh, and is very good for our offense and is, you know, has his moments in the post. Um, but hopefully we're not trying to go to that a lot in the, uh, in crunch time. So, We've got a real asset on our hands here and, and a piece worth building around. Supposedly, he's the reason Stan Van Gundy accepted the job in Detroit, moving out of out of Florida and coming back into the league, is because he saw, hey, I get to build a franchise around this guy. No, that's true. And and, and to, it just came to mind that um, in, the, in the game against the Wizards where we clinched the playoffs, uh, Drummond was out in the last like, seven minutes because of the hack of Drummond. And Baines finished it off, and uh, I think Drummond played it off later. But the, bo- the bottom line is, he, he kind of looked like he was sitting there moping when we won the game. And and Van Gundy kind of went over and pepped him up a little bit, got him up, pat him on the back, and kind of like, "Hey, join in! Like you, you really did this." And, and after in the post game was talking about, you know, to kind of really speaking highly of him. And I, I think he's hard on him because he sees what he could be. But it's nice to see Van Gundy make sure he doesn't go too far on being down on him as well. Yeah, actually, let's talk about Van Gundy, like how we think he did this year. You know, we, we fans on the sidelines, 
have so little information about how well coaches are doing. And we really, we rely on the journalists, but half the time NBA writers are just taking leaks from agents and, uh, and players and stuff to, who are fulfilling their agendas. You know, sources say people aren't happy with Kirk, Kurt Rambis in the next locker room or whatever. So it's really hard to know, but, but I'll say he's done a good job building this team. He had, he's had the balls to do things like clear out guys that didn't fit the, the system and the philosophy like Josh Smith, who was bad and Greg Monroe, who was good and took some pieces we already had like KCP and Drummond and got some new ones like Marcus Morris and Anthony Tolliver and uh, Tobias Harris. And so on, on the team building and consistency, you know, the GM and the coach working hand in hand, well, it works when they're the same guy, right? Um, so that seemed to work. And in terms of coaching, it's I'm, I'm not sure what to think because again, we're we were just a little bit above average in both offense and defense. We started out the year really good on defense and sometimes looking really smothering the first quarter of the year, and we kind of flagged there. And the 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 one thing I'm worried about again, not being able to judge X's and O's really is. I just see a lot of guys, whenever they make a mistake, they look over to the bench so that Stan can yell at them a little bit. Even, like, in important late-game situations, they'll make some some mistake and, like, they're getting barked at by the coach. And it's like, is that what they need to be thinking about at that moment? Or they, do they really need to remember that rotation next time? I, I don't know. It, I'm, I'm, I, I might be kind of flinching a little bit unnecessarily, but you, you just – these coaches that have really high expectations – it can really work if you're a Rick Carlisle or a Popovich, or you can be a guy where the media starts talking about players tuning a guy out, like Doug Collins uh, ends every single coaching tenure with people being excited about him at the beginning and then, quote, tuning him out, end quote, at the end. Um, it, so I, I'm not sure. I, I might be just doing way too much reading into body language or guys looking beaten down towards the end of the year here when they're tired. But I, that's the one really area of concern I have for him is the morale of the team and the spirit. Maybe to see Van Gundy get some success of making the playoffs, and if we can look pretty good, maybe he'll ease up a little bit. I mean, he's probably just very nervous himself about having come here. It, it was a very key season. If, if after all these moves, maybe he has a five-year window to try to make a, a run at things. Uh, if we hadn't really gotten much better this year, uh, it would have really not looked good. So, um uh, to me, to me again, it's hard to judge X's and O's again. Like, like you said, I, I don't have that sophistication. But um, on the moves, I, he seems to—he's made two really good picks. That like Reggie Jackson and Tobias Harris are similar in that they seemed like they could have sort of flashy stats sometimes, but be inefficient. Or Tobias Harris was like a good stats guy and a bad team kind of guy. People had, and uh, some people could see in Tobias Harris someone who really on the right team could be more efficient. And uh, Tobias Harris has been very good. I mean, one of the things that was very key in the one of the reasons he got the big contract he got in Orlando is that he shot really well from three a couple of years ago, like thirty in the thirty high thirties, like thirty six percent. And since he joined us, he's been shooting thirty seven and a half percent from three, one of the best of his career. And earlier in the season, he was shooting like thirty one percent. So that's very important because that's like one of the just like with Reggie Jackson, if either of those guys can't shoot threes, they just become dramatically less uh, less valuable. Yeah, so it's a question of it. You know, is he just a, a really great fit for our system, and and um, he's really the the safety valve for when Reggie Jackson creates something on offense. And now we have a guy who can hit an open shot, and we're putting him in the position to succeed. Or is it just that 
he's having a hot shooting streak, and he'll come back down to earth, you know, later. You know, we'll, I guess we'll I guess we'll find out as time goes on. Well, I mean, he, he shot this well for almost this well for an entire season a couple seasons ago. So it, it, there is reason for hope. If this is the only time in his career he's ever had a stretch like this, I would I wouldn't be as hopeful. I guess. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe to round out the kind of end of year, like there was some people talking about the ballots of like first, second, third team NBA rookie of the year. And we already talked about how Sanimal really didn't get any love there, but um, Drummond wasn't even third team NBA on a, on a couple of prominent uh, commentators ballots. Again, Zach Lowe and, and Bill Simmons. And uh, I, I think it's a kind of same thing where he's really good, but not quite there on defense and uh, just the free throws. I mean, everyone sees that. So, uh, I think, and, and Towns has been the, the on third team All NBA center, which is kind of depressing that a rookie. I mean, Towns is just amazingly good. I mean, like p- people are now talking about, would you rather have him or Anthony Davis on your team? Uh, I, I, I think I still might go with Anthony Davis, especially after the performance we saw him put up against us at the Palace when we went to the one game this year. Uh, but still, I mean, he's he's a very good rookie. I mean, it really actually shows a lot about how the NBA has changed. Um, that we have here, we have this gigantic center who is a incredible threat on the pick and roll, and who led the league in rebounding uh, on both ends of the floor. Amazing offensive rebounder, dominant defensive rebounder. Most double doubles by a huge margin. Yeah, most double doubles by a huge margin. And you know, in the 1960s and 70s. People would have creamed their jeans over that type of guy. I mean, he might, you know, he he would have been first team All NBA. Um, and here we are, and he he he's not getting any love, you getting any love on the ballots. And actually, if you think about it, if if he hadn't had that strong start, if you had just kind of randomized his what order these different months or stretches of the season happened, and he hadn't been hot at the beginning of the year, he might not have been on the All Star team either. Um, and it just you know teams value different things now. Um, I think. You know, it's hard. It's hard to know what kind of effect he had on defense. But mm-hmm. that first half of the year, when people were doing All Star voting, we had a really good team defense, better than we ended up as at the year. And and people usually look to the big man for that. So uh, I think it, part of that is symptomatic of, of of how the league has changed. Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Davis both can can pass. They can put the ball on the floor and get to the basket. They can shoot to some degree from the outside as well as posting up and rebounding. So. Uh, just amazing talents. Um, uh, so it'll be, we have a little bit of a dinosaur on our hands here with just a, a gigantic, incredible rebounding dunking machine who is straight out of, you know, uh, 1975. Kind of interesting. All right. And so on this, see, and the series coming up, uh, maybe we'll have a podcast kind of mid series, really strike while the iron's hot mid playoffs, but uh, do you have anything to say about the Cavs and how we match up against them? I, I, I know that we, we won the season series 3-1, and I don't think you can really count the most recent win when we were both playing our – it was the last game of the season for both of us and we weren't playing our starters. But um, do you have anything else beyond that to, to say about how we might match up? Some people have been talking about how um, with Tobias Harris and Marcus Morris uh, and KCP, that kind of gives us a nice range of players who can switch – on the LeBron James and Kevin Love kind of uh, rotation and things like that. But beyond that, I I, I feel like I'd I'd have to go back and rewatch some of those games to have a lot to say about the matchup. Yeah, I would say what we have going for us is that between uh, 
KCP being a, a, a very good defender, and then Tobias Harris and Marcus Morris and Stanley Johnson all being the right size and athleticism, and uh, you know Mar- at least Marcus Morris is a good enough defender. That we we have some guys to throw at LeBron to try to slow him down. Have a fresh guy guarding him at any given time. We have a lot of fouls to throw at him. Um, and I think, um, you know, KCP will be matched up on Kyrie Irving probably a lot, um, even though KCP is a shooting guard and Kyrie is a point guard. Um, we have a really good defender to throw at one of their guys. And then, you know, in terms of uh, stopping Kevin Love, it, you know, it's hard to hard to say what to do with him. He, he spent so much time away from the basket. Tobias Harris might actually be, you know, a really nice matchup for him since he's a little bit of a more mobile power forward. Um so, you know, in terms of just, you know, man-to-man, matching a guy onto a guy, I think I think we are not in a, in a terrible position there. And then LeBron James shifting over to the power forward and just being this incredible, like, he's your power forward and can rebound, but can also get the rebound and sprint up the floor and handle the ball. You know, our Marcus Morris, Tobias Harris guy, you know, level guys, they, they're the right body type to match up with that. It's not like we have these Zach Randolph type, you know, big dinosaurs uh, trying to do that. So one of one of the big uh, tricks that Cleveland can pull out of their hat is to is to go small and have uh, Kevin Love at the center and LeBron James at the power forward. That doesn't really do anything special to us. That doesn't really hurt us because of our guys. Now that being said, Cleveland is awesome. They have, you know, these these three incredible players Kevin Love has played a little less incredibly since coming to Cleveland because he's just probably not a good fit to play with that personnel. But he's been playing, you know, really well on offense um, by any standard other than judging him by his own career. He would have been the best or second best offensive player on our team this year. And he's having this supposedly terrible year in Cleveland. They, They kind of drifted their way through the regular season. Their coach got fired. LeBron James very openly just like took quarters, games, stretches of games, weeks off on defense, not trying very hard. Um, and yet they were the third best offense and the 10th best defense in the league this year. And uh, the, so that's the, the third best offense. I mean, they, the, with things going so poorly that their coach gets fired, that, that really shows you something about the level of talent they have. So we need them to be a little cold shooting uh, in this series, and we have to we have to play up to Stan's vision on how we move on defense. But what I'm really worried about is when Cleveland starts trying really hard on defense, especially if they have Irving out and Delavadova in, and then LeBron starts playing his the level of defense he's capable of, where he you know he runs ahead of what a computer simulation says a perfect defender would do. Uh, I think we've alluded to that story before. Um, we could have some really ugly stretches where it's very difficult for us to score. Um, I think we need to really take advantage of when Kyrie Irving is in the game and have, have Reggie Jackson torch him because Kyrie's a really bad defender. Um, I don't know. So the, those are some of my thoughts. Um, you know, Cleveland's awesome, and we didn't even see their best this year, and they won 57 games. And if they were really humming, they probably should have won like 63 games. Yeah, and the only thing that really goes it goes against them is, is just their expectations and the fact that like LeBron came home and put together a super team and was eclipsed by how awesome the Warriors are. But if you again, 
absent that, the, you know, 57 wins is a really good season. Uh, I think we only did better than that like once during our awesome Billups years. I thought I would also just mention, so LeBron took, took some time off during this season. Uh, while still playing, he was taking time off. And his, his overall numbers were amazing. The best season, um, pr- probably better than any season Carmelo Anthony has had. But it, it, it was really better, wor- um, worse than his peak. You know, his offensive rating is was 116 instead of up in the 120s, like during, you know, his best Cleveland and Miami years earlier in his career. And his usage rate is still out of this world over 30%. Just a real uh, unbelievable, efficient user of possessions. So little down this year, but if you look at his last 20 games, he was just back to blowtorching the league. Be- being He was playing at, like, peak of his career, LeBron level on offense the last 20 games, which is, a, you know, almost a quarter of the season. Um, so he was really saving something for the end of the year. And um, at the beginning of the year, he was trying too hard, shooting too much, uh, turning the ball over a ton, playing inefficiently. And I was really worried he was past his prime. But uh, unfortunately for us, I think um, they, he, he worked out whatever he needed to work out. And um, I think peak LeBron is back, which will be great for uh, when we go to the game to watch. We'll get to see a historic event of peak LeBron playing in the playoffs. Bad for us winning the series, though, I would say. Yeah, I just I just can't credibly, even as a complete diehard Pistons fan, really put forward any credible scenario where we give them uh, much to worry about. Uh, I would just love it if we if we win a game and, and we win the game that we're at. Um, and I will certainly be hopeful. I mean, the Pistons, when everything clicks, namely when we actually make a lot of threes, uh, we can look really good. But even if we played that well every game, uh, I still wouldn't. I would feel like we're, we don't have we're, we don't have the edge at all. So I feel like um, it's, it's not very hopeful. But uh, I'm excited that we're here to, to see it happen. You, you mentioning the threes is a really good point. And I think it's um, you know when, when you shoot a, a kind of a lot of threes like us, you really you give yourself a chance in any given game. If you just get hot, you know you you can you can play above your you punch above your weight a little bit. And uh, you had done some uh, crunching some numbers on our kind of game-to-game variation this season. And, you know, you said you found we have a really high peak and really low valleys, right? Well, it, it was I was looking at the kind of just plotting the uh, every game's net rating uh, on a box plot, which would kind of gives you the, the median and the quartile ranges. And uh, plotted that alongside all the other top eight or nine teams in the East. And we were... Our, our median net rating is just above zero, which which makes sense because we won a little bit more than half our games. Uh, but but the variance is is is, as high, is higher than anybody else. Uh, we we've lost games by forty. We've won games by thirty plus. Um, and even our high quartile range, like just one quartile above our median, is actually better than uh, probably all but four teams in the East. So. In some ways, we're just kind of inconsistent. That, that that's one way of putting it. But on the other hand, it's like, well, at least we're not like laser focused on being mediocre. Like we have the upside of when we when we really hit, we can we can really blow some good teams out, uh, including, by the way, being one of the teams that beat um, the Warriors this year. Uh, and when Draymond Green was on, uh, I, I just heard part of the podcast with him on Bill Simmons' podcast today. He was asked, like Bill was asking him about, like, hey, like so, in some of the games you lost, do you feel like any of them just got away? And you should have won them. And and he actually said that the Pistons game was one where like 
we just beat them and they kind of surprised them. Like they, we, we just played really well that game and, you know, Curry didn't play great, but still it wasn't like they just completely gave up or, uh, like w- that was a game where we just like were shooting on fire. Uh, and it was, I remember watching that just being like, and it was also the night that like they inducted, uh, Ben Wallace into the hall of fame. I remember watching that just be like having like this total awesome night because uh, the Pistons just actually played really, really well. Uh, and so if we, you know, I'm, I'm more hopeful than I would be, I would say, uh, than as a Pacers fan. I, I can put it that way. Yeah, because the Pacers have this near elite defense and just absolutely atrocious offense. And we're we're above average on both, and we have flashes of greatness on, on both offense and defense. Um, we've had stretches where we were really good. And, I, you know, that the fact that we had really high highs and really low lows, I think that's good because as the underdog, you want to increase the variance. That's why... Um, you know, when teams are behind, they let, they they foul and they they press and things like that. They're trying to they're trying to you know increase the variance and give increase the probability that something crazy happens and they win. Um, so you know, I, I would say that um, we should expect to win one game this series. We should. I, I think we should really be a little bit disappointed if we get swept, even though Cleveland's awesome and and they have not really shown their best work during the regular season. Uh, I wouldn't put it out of the question I, that we win two games and we, we lose in six. Um, I think some, you know, some statistical what's this on ESPN.com said that there was like an 18% chance we upset Cleveland and win the series. I, I think that's way too high, frankly. Um, I think that's probably based on just taking the dumb regular season statistics this year, not counting the fact that Kyrie Irving missed a bunch of the year with an injury not counting the fact that LeBron was saving himself. So, you know, uh, I, I would put it closer to 5% chance that we win the series, and that would take some sort of injury. But, um, you know, I don't know. I would say the over-under on how many games we win should be about 1.5, you know. Um, optimistically, we'd win two. Uh, I hope we just win that game three that we're, uh, <laughs> we're in the Palace uh, rocking there saying Detroit basketball. But, uh I don't know. We'll, we'll go from there. I, I think um, the other thing about Cleveland is, as they showed in last year's finals, whatever it is that you have got going on, they have the, the, the talent and the personnel to just completely morph their team to, uh, to adapt to it. You know, they were playing Golden State in the finals. They had Kyrie Irving out. Uh, or no, I'm sorry, Kevin Love out. And they just turned themselves into a bruising offensive rebounding team, which they had never done the whole year. And LeBron just quarterbacked that team to almost upsetting the Warriors. You know, they, they can do whatever they need to to win. And so, you know, we, we really should not hold our breath. But it's uh, – I think we should show some flashes. We should win some quarters. We should go on some really scorching runs. I think Reggie will show some heroic moments. And then it'll be uh, a moral victory <laughs> that we lose in five or six. Yeah, I predict we'll get blown out in one of the first two games. Uh, we'll be we'll make it close and then lose by like eight in one of the other games at the end and then we'll win game three at home and then we'll lose game four and then we'll lose game five and that'll be it that, that's my prediction all right we're we're, uh, <laughs> uh, we're not getting any points for being you know dying the wool uh, <laughs> passionate fans here but there are are, are are we're a couple of Vulcans here uh, with our analytic minds taking over making our predictions but I think you know It'll be really great to see what we do when we're really locked in, where the stakes are high. It won't be the regular season slog where the you know we take our eye off the ball and 
and the coach gets really frustrated that we're not trying hard. That we're, it's going to be a new level of intensity, and I think we'll see what we're really capable of, and I think it'll be really cool to see that happen on a national stage. I mean, the Pistons are, are playing LeBron and the Cavs at 3 p.m. Eastern on ABC, on network TV on Sunday. I mean, uh, there will probably be a lot of people who see that game who have not laid eyes on a Piston in uniform in like five years. Uh, so I think that'll be awesome. Yes. All right. Well, folks, if you made it this far, Oh, I will mention that we did instrument our podcast with some analytics finally. And we dared to peek at whether we actually had anyone listening at all. And the last episode had, uh, over 50, just over 50 downloads, uh, unique downloads, uh, using the blueberry podcast stats. So thanks, thanks everyone who's listening, and especially anyone who's made it this far into the podcast. We appreciate it. Uh, tell your friends about it, because uh, we're not trying to make a business out of this by any means or anything like that, but knowing that there's actually some uh, fellow Pistons fans who appreciate what we have to say uh, makes this worthwhile. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot, everybody.